Welcome to Raw Female, a podcast that offers an unfiltered look at women in midlife. We're your hosts, Chris and Allie. Welcome to the second part of our interview with Kindley Walsh Lawler, CEO of Parks California. In this episode, Kindley starts talking about tools, what scares her, failure, and the hardest work she's ever done. Tools for me, checklists, to-do lists, whatever they are, little extra square boxes next to everything that needs to get done where I can physically see it occur every day. So the question is, are you a checkboxer or a strikethrough? Oh, I'm a strikethrough. I'm a checkboxer. You're yeah. a strikethrough oh, yeah, with yeah. a big, big, fat, fat sharpie. sharpie. So you can't see a damn no. thing that's come. <laughs> I am a, I actually draw I got my big sharpie right there. I'm what are you? I'm a checkboxer, mm-hmm. big time. Really? My checkbox. I want to see what it is that I did. I don't want to strike through that. Uh-huh. I want to I want to pat myself on the back and say, look what I accomplished. Look at all those check marks. Okay, here's the big question. Have you ever done something already uh, and then gone back to the list and hell? written it on there <laughs> and then checked it? Because I have. That feels so good. When you're having a tough week, are you kidding me? You have to say, oh my God, I never put those three things on the list. I'm going to put them on right now and everything will skew a little more positive now. I am totally doing that. That's a great idea. For sure. Life hack. Kindly. You took some time between your jobs, knowing that you would eventually need to get back to work. That's right. How did you emotionally and mentally prepare to be in that space? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that certainly, now that scared me. Not a lot of things do. That was scary to me. Not if I could find a job. Not if there was something out there for me, but more of when would it come and would it work for who my family is and what they need from me? Um, I figured I could always go back to doing what I knew, right? That that wouldn't be such a bad thing. I loved that work. Um, But my hope was that I could do something different. And so in the back of my mind, I stayed in touch with many people who still worked in the space where I had been at different companies, um, made sure they knew that I was taking some time, but that I was going to be looking. And um, so again, it's, it's, you know, who do you have, who do you stay close to that can just always be there for you, even if you just want to test an idea? Or understand what's still happening in an industry that you may have sat in but have walked away from, right? And um, look, I again, it felt really karmic that I was able to take what I knew and apply it to the state of California, where I live now for 25 years, um, and could almost localize all these skills that I had been allowed to build. And now I can bring it home, right? Now I get to focus on communities like in South Fresno, who want park access, but they don't know how to create their own advocacy group that helps them get to the parks, that ensures they have relevant experience in those parks, that has access to gear that keeps them safe and healthy in those parks. I get to work like that now 
And it doesn't feel any less important than what I did with women in farming communities in rural India. It feels as important and as special and is teaching me as much. It's just that now I can get in my car and drive two hours, three hours to get there versus getting on a 40-hour transit um, to do it. And so I think probably the only thing that scares me is if I can show up well enough for the people who need me the most. And sometimes that's people who I'm serving through work, right? I can't fail people I've made a commitment to. That's the non-negotiable for me, whether they're my loved ones or people that I've made a commitment to to help them improve something in their lives, whether it was access to education, promotions at work, being safe from harassment at work, or uh, people who simply need to get outdoors for their mental and physical and emotional health and don't have the mechanisms, the means, or even the knowledge how to do that. To me, it's all the same piece, right? I'm in service to that. And um, I take those things really seriously. And, you know, I think a little bit about the question, too, of how, how, do, you, how do you show up as your authentic self 99.9% of the time? And to me, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's easy. And you still have to know your audience, right? So you can be authentic, but know who it is you're talking to and what they do still need to hear from you. My relationships with my board are very different than my relationships with my team, than my relationships with leaders within the natural resource agency or leaders within community organizations. But they're all equally respectful. I'm just showing up differently because of their needs. It's not about me, right? It's about them. And to me, that's a part of, I think, why I can build trusting relationships quickly. And people know that I'm there for them. I'm not there for me. In the end, I feel very fortunate to be a connector or a facilitator or whatever the right word is there, um, that I have that opportunity to play that role. Um, that's what I love to do. So Chris and I have talked a lot about women in just executive roles, just because we're lacking. Yeah. We're lacking that nationally. We're lacking that globally because mm-hmm. you are an executive level. What are you doing in that space to bring other women along? Yeah, yeah I think I think there are certainly the formal ways and then the informal ways, right? So I guess I've always also been incredibly happy to. Um, talk to people about their careers, whether they work for me or don't, or they're friends of friends or students that somebody has. I always felt like my teachers, my professors, people I've worked with, I always felt like people made time for me to test things with. Um, my, my favorite, favorite professor, um, Francesca Sterlacci at the Fashion Institute, has been a longtime friend and a guide to me over the years still. And I graduated college in 92. And, you know, she's one of the original badasses, right? She built her own business. Then she became a professor, became a chair in the design department, um, has built an online um, fashion university that is used around the world. Um, and, you know, 
found someone to love and get married and had a son and as she was when she was getting older and you know has been able to have it all do it all right um finding people that make time for you has helped me learn how important it is to make time for others so i think that's the more formal piece of this what i call myself a mentor i'm certainly a mentee i need people to give me guidance and advice and remind me, actually, right before I got on this call, I was on with the head of a group called International Center for Research on Women, Sarah Cambu. And I asked her out of the blue after working with her when I was at Gap for many years, if she would give me time once a month. And so I spoke with her today. And one of her comments to me was, remember, girl, trust your gut. Always trust your gut. That's the best kind of mentorship you can get, right? We talked about scope creep. We talked about all these other sort of more formal things. And at the end, she said, you have a great moral compass. So remember to always trust your gut. And it's if someone can give you that advice and remind you to also be the person who gives that kind of advice, that's a more formalized way of doing it. But what I would say is you have to make time to be mentored and you have to make time to offer that same thing to other people. I love that takeaway. Yeah. So this is less of a question, more of a statement. But one of the things that I really love about you, Kendley, is that you have a certain vulnerability, yeah. in, especially in business, about what you know and what you don't know. Yes. And I think that's very disarming. And I think that brings people along for the ride. And I, I think that's what we need. relationship with failure on big or little things? That's a loaded question and a good one. Mm. Yeah. Has it changed over time? I know mine is evolving. No, I think consistently my, my I have a lot of questions. When something doesn't work, it's more like, okay, okay. So let's make a list of what went wrong. You know, what do we need to own? What can we recover from? Right? What bridges did we burn? Uh, I'm always trying to just really sort of then position the situation. And again, my what I've always loved throughout my career is I've always felt like I can be creative. So whether I was designing or not, there's a creative, there's a creative bent to how you address problems or opportunities or how you create solutions. And to me, then that gets me reinvigorated versus puts me in a painful place. I'm, I'm also very comfortable owning a mistake. I don't, I own it. And if it backfires on me, then it backfires on me. But I won't push that on anyone else if I created it. I will not. I will take responsibility. And um, again, I've been, you know, I'm knocking on wood, <laughs> fortunate that that hasn't backfired in such a way that it would wreck me permanently, right? Um, but again, then what I have learned over time, having been through human rights crises in supply chains, is that the moment you become crippled by the problem is the moment you become ineffective. And the most, uh, still, it will make me cry every time, the most difficult thing I've ever had to manage through was when there was loss of life in a, fact, in a factory 
in December 2010 um, when people couldn't get out during a factory fire in Bangladesh. And it does. It still makes me just, I felt like it was my responsibility that people should be safe, whether I sat in that country or ran that factory or whatever, right? doesn't matter. And I remember I cried for three weeks straight. I could not comprehend this tragedy. By the fourth week, we were starting to percolate on what we needed to do. And what I realized was I had lost three valuable weeks hiding inside of myself versus trying to figure out what comes next. And so I think that was a huge lesson for me that you cannot be effective if you're obsessing about what went wrong. It doesn't mean what went wrong doesn't matter. It matters so much that you've got to shift to being effective more quickly, right? You have to be a part of solving these issues more quickly, even though you hurt and even though you mourn. Um, Wow. That's powerful. Yeah, it was. And it It sounds like you can still kind of tap into that at the front of yourself even now. Yeah, I I would say that no solution is perfect. Um, Out of that tragedy was born um, two parallel working groups. The one that we ended up running and managing was called the Bangladesh Fire and Building Alliance. And um, it was the hardest work I've ever done. Because when people say, when you're in an office setting, well, I mean, it's not life or death. In this case, it was. And, and it had happened. And it was not acceptable. And it wasn't okay. And we needed to figure out how to fix it. And so if that becomes the most tragic I mean, I, I hope it doesn't get worse, right, is what I would say and what I have to help play a role in. But um, we learned how to approach these kinds of issues in that particular country um, with government, with business, with sort of that NGO nonprofit labor movement and um, with human beings who had been a part of the experience. And uh, it was probably my biggest lesson, my biggest work and life lesson on um, a job to me is not a job. I don't just take jobs. Uh, I take on work that makes me, um, that humbles me, that teaches me, and that inspires me. And um, that's a non-negotiable. Oh my God. She need you need to be in politics. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, it is the trajectory you're on. It's, it's big picture. It's advocacy (laughs) serving. It's serving. It is all of those things. Lots of stakeholders, Kindley. Look, there's nothing. I never feel like anything's off the table, right? Nothing's off the table. I think, um, if I can be effective and I can bring people on a journey, uh, and inspire people to see a bigger picture or play a role somewhere that they've never considered playing a role, then I feel like I've made an impact, right? I think what's been really fun about starting something from scratch 
more fun than anything else, honestly, is um, building a team. I'm better with a team all day long. I'm better when people complete me all day long. And so finding these amazing individuals, we're now a team of eight in two years, just over two years, we'll be a team of 10 in the next few months is so much fun, right? And then helping them become a team, developing culture and morals and mission and vision and being resolute in what we stand for and how we show up for each other and is just joyous. And, um, and then of course, checklists to me are joyous. We've talked about that already. Oh my God. All I I hear is politics when she talks. (laughs) Oh, and I think we've got your campaign manager right here. here. I can brand the hell out of this thing. You know it. (laughs) Hey, Kinley, are you reading anything right now that you want to talk about? Hmm, That's a great question. I actually did just finally read Glennon Doyle. Oh yeah. I read Untamed Untamed too. Untamed. I follow her on Instagram, Me by too. the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. And her wife too, Abby. I'm kind of fan. Yeah, part of it, may, I mean, I, you know, it was sort of like open weeping before bed with some of the things that she says, especially when she talks about um, kids and sort of that next generation. So going back a little bit to, you know, what's, what, what's our responsibility um, as we think about the next generation. And to me, you know, having spent a lot of time working with women and then starting to shift to women and girls before I left Gap, that instilling in women, in st- building it if it's never been built before and instilling in girls, this belief in self to me is a non-negotiable. And however, what I would also say is what I've learned even more recently is that doesn't stop when you get to the boys, it's the same thing. I'm making sure they feel comfortable being sensitive and kind and loving and that that doesn't ever stop, right? Respectful. So what and how are we bringing this next generation on a journey of belief in self? And, you know, as the mom of kids who are 15 and 11, going through the last four years and seeing hatred become front and center uh, at the national level, um, being so overwhelmed by um, how painful it, the realities have been for so many people. I think taking that time to really dissect why it's making them feel that way and what their role in, is going to be in making it better. I mean, the, my 15-year-old daughter said, you know, over the last few months, we're the generation that will, that will create more equity because we don't care. We don't care what people look like or who, where they come from or what they believe in or who they love. We just respect people for being themselves. And it's less about not caring. It's more about like, and we'll hold them up because of these things. And so, you know, I, all those years ago, changed my trajectory in my career because I had just had a child and I wanted to explain why I was going to work every day. And I wanted her to believe it was for a reason, right? Not just that I needed to bring income in for my family, but that I was doing something that mattered. And um, I want my kids to feel that same desire that they don't just take a job that they take something that drives them. They take something that means something and they take on something that creates positive change. 
Well, you're modeling that behavior that you grew up with, right? Yep. Okay. So I have one last question and you, I'm dying. I was dying to answer that or ask you this. I want to know what one either product or service or something that feeds you. I want to know what that is. Yeah. So my, so my funny, my funny response, and then I'll give you a very serious response, which is also somewhat funny. My funny response is I'm not actually a big TV watcher or streamer. I don't, you know, sit and just watch things. Uh, until I found both Outlander and Bridgerton, because the escapability there of going to another time. Jamie. And- oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's yeah. all there is to say. Soft I mean, porn. Besides the fact that it's serious soft porn. <laughs> Jamie's going to be in our show notes. I mean, mom, why, would, why wouldn't oh he God. be in our show notes? Mom even was into Jamie. Oh, my yeah, God. It's that's a whole other generation. Yeah. Or, or Simon or Simon. I mean, if you haven't seen the other one. So that's my so that's my that's my sort of keeping it light, keeping it light. My my sanity, my sanity for my whole life has been making things. And, you know, I, again, grew up sewing, quilting with my Polish grandmother. My Italian grandmother worked in a sewing factory. My Polish great aunt worked in a sewing factory. My mom had a business for many years called Vermont Fleece Company. So sewing has been a part of me forever. And when I started doing all the travel and sat on planes for hours and hours and hours, I needed something to do because, you know, uh, as the daughter of uh, Polish, Italian and Irish immigrants, idle hands are the work of the devil. And um, so I would say I cannot, I cannot live without my needlepoint kits. Let's see it. I love that. Yeah. Kindly, it was so great having you on. And I, can I just say thank you to both of you because you two are rays of sunshine and I'm so happy that you're bringing this support network out there because we need it. We need it. We love having you on Thank you so much, Kindly. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Raw Female Podcast. And check out our website at rawfemale.com. 